Just briefly, a word of introduction. My name is Father Daniel Heenan, the Fraternity of St. Peter. Um, it's always a great pleasure to be able to celebrate Mass here, as uh, I spent much time at, uh, attending Mass here before uh, entering the seminary. Currently, the pastor of uh, the parish of uh, St. Peter in Chains in Guadalajara, Jalisco, uh, Mexico. And uh, I want to apologize in advance because uh, Father, well, Father Pollard talked me into celebrating this Mass, but I have a flight to catch because I'm going to uh, meet a group of teenagers for a mission trip in Bonica. So I'm going to have to say hello to everybody from here and uh, leave very quickly uh, after Mass. <clears throat> so I ask you to uh, please keep in your prayers uh, uh, Richard Heenan, my grandfather. I'm in town because yesterday I celebrated his funeral. So you can please pray for the repose of his soul. <clears throat> But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace in me hath not been void. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. <clears throat> the other day, I turned on uh, the radio, driving in the car, listening to, listen to talk radio for a few moments, make sure I haven't forgotten how to understand English, which is helpful sometimes. And I came upon a show, a, a Protestant show, uh, giving marriage advice or something of the sort, and the man said something very interesting because he was speaking about in order first to resolve marriage problems, the, the, the spouses have to be believers. And he spoke about being a believer as accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and believing with all your heart that God rose him from the dead. Proposition which in and of itself is not bad, but is, uh, we can say, uh, rather insufficient. Indeed, many Protestants and, and probably many Catholics as well fall into an error of a sort of half-Christianity because they create a caricature basing salvation only in believing, believing or having confidence in a proposition as if it were believing that the Loch Ness Monster exists or that Bigfoot is really there somewhere or fairy godmothers or something of the sort. And if our faith is only such, then indeed we can do damage to our ability to evangelize an ever-increasingly pagan world. Because our Lord did not come to establish simply a belief system. He came not just to be remembered so that one day Mel Gibson might make a movie of him or people might sing songs about him. He came to take on our condition so that we could assume his condition. Indeed, our Catholic faith is a sacramental faith an incarnational faith. And this is not, to say our faith is sacramental does not simply mean that every once in a while we come and receive a sacrament. It is a worldview that means that our Lord has come to sanctify creation and to renew us in particular as his disciples. <clears throat> and God has always operated in this way. The whole history of salvation is replete 
with how God not only uh, demands faith, but he demands a transformation. Again, many Protestants uh, like to point to examples of the Old Testament and say, we need to have faith like Abraham. And again, this is all well and good. St. Paul himself uh, points to Abraham as the exemplar of faith. But when we talk about the faith of Abraham, we're not talking simply about confidence. If we look at his story, God demanded something of him in order to transform him. God made him leave his homeland and take a long journey to a foreign land trusting in him. Recall God sealed his covenant, making him split apart the animals and walking in between them. He demanded of him circumcision. He demanded of him the sacrifice of Isaac. This is all a very messy proposition. And so we can say indeed that we're saved by faith, but not only by faith, because faith opens the door to a new reality that has to take hold in us. And we see this very clearly in the traditional rite of baptism. In fact, from this gospel we hear today, we take some of the symbols that are incorporated in the traditional rite of baptism. Baptism is not simply just a cute ceremony. Indeed, it's so important, the effects it has on us, that uh, traditionally, moral theologians have said that to wait more than 15 days after birth to baptize a child is grave matter. And so we need to keep this in mind, that the effects are so important that we must not delay in procuring this benefit for our children. Where I am, it's, it's a, a terribly bad habit they have to sometimes now postpone baptism to make it correspond with their first birthday party because it's become just a, a nice ceremony. But when we look at the um, traditional rite of, uh, of baptism, we see a, a great uh, gravity that the church wants to communicate. We uh, perform three different exorcisms before the baptism in order to prepare the way for the, the grace of God to wash away sins and to infuse uh, his sanctifying grace and the gifts of the Holy Ghost. We put exercise salt on the tongue of the infant because, as we say, salt is the symbol of wisdom. And so that tongue one day should proclaim the wisdom of God. And furthermore, in former times, salt was used as to, before refrigeration to conserve food, meat. And so the tongue of that infant needs to be preserved for its most lofty purpose that it one day will have, to become the throne of God himself when the child receives uh, his, his first Holy Communion. And then we see also this curious rite here de depicted in the Gospel where the priest puts spittle on his finger and he touches the ears and the nose of the child, telling him, commanding him to be open and that he may uh, be, uh, uh, take in the, the odor, the sweetness of the odor of God. That 
having us understand that baptism opens us up to a new life. It transforms us. And this is something we all should remember because, yes, we were baptized a long time ago, but every day of our lives, we have to live our baptism. And that this should affect everything we do. That now being baptized, being regenerated in the Holy Ghost, we must think like Christ, speak like Christ, hear through the prism of Christ, see everything from the perspective of Christ, everything being transformed. We could meditate why God chose to do it this way. Remember, there's various opinions. Why spittle? So odd, right? But perhaps we understand when we... Uh, focus on what St. Paul tells us in his epistles over and over again, that the grand vocation that we have is to become one body with Christ, to become members of Christ incorporated into him. So important is this for him that one, that he gives us his body in order to incorporate into ourselves, to consume him so that he can consume us and make us into him. And so the old man indeed has to be put to death. We cannot continue now being made children of God, renewed in baptism, our sins being washed away. We cannot continue to think like the world. We cannot continue to see things and evaluate things from the perspective of the world. Rather, everything needs to be seen through the light of Christ, and through this grand vocation that we now have. As he says, I come to make all things new. And he does this in us by infusing his grace in us. As St. Paul says in the epistle today, unrelated really to our, our merits, as he proclaims very clearly, him having persecuted the church of God. But nevertheless, the grace of God, of Christ in him, it will not be made vain. And so may we constantly have before our eyes the grand vocation we've all received in our baptism. May be a constant reality so that we can say also that by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace in me hath not been made void. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.